Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, there was a lot of news in the world of Philadelphia sports this week. I can't doubt. imagine what you're talking about. Uh, hmm. Sixers wait for Cody Mathias. <laughs> That's your big news? <laughs> Huge news this week. So, so, so my big question when that happened was, were they going to sign another two-way? And if you were going to sign a two-way, was Elton Brand going to come back, put on the uniform, and he could actually be a two-way because he's been the general manager for both the Bluecoats and the Sixers? Uh, we'll get to the NFL news. Obviously, Eagles have a new head coach. We'll get to that. Um, talk some flyers. We've got Lou Nolan joining us at about 4.05. Uh, talk some baseball and hiring practices with Doug Glanville, among other things, Jeff. And Hank Aaron, the passing of a legend today. Have that at 4.30. Why don't we start with a little Sixers before we get to all that? What do you think? Sure. Currently in first place in the East at 10-5. and five. Knocked up the Celtics the other night with another statement performance by Joel Embiid. 42 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists in just 33 minutes. Back at it tonight, the Celtics are shorthanded without Jason Tatum again. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing from the team at the start of the season? And then we'll talk about some players specifically. Well, think about how impressive it is that they're in first place despite the COVID problems they've had. I mean, it, it has been pretty impressive that they've been able to, to find a groove despite all the problems and delays that they've had as a result of what happened over the last couple of weeks. But I think that the the big takeaway is over the last couple of years, what what I've heard is that there have been there's been whose team is this? Is this Ben Simmons' team or is this Joel Embiid's team? And even in the off season, there were rumblings about whose team was this and what coach was going to be hired and how that would impact whose team this was. I think it's pretty evident very quickly whose team this is. This is now Joel Embiid's team. Is that a problem for Ben Simmons? It appears to be. Uh, so it, either there's something wrong that we don't know, or he's sulking. So there's a few things, you know, coming off the injury, okay, you know, mm -hmm. some of that. Reports are that the Sixers thought they had a deal for James Harden, and Ben and Matisse seem to know. were told mm -hmm. that they were going to not be here. And is this a... a, a case of a player and you don't want me i don't want you whatever it is he's been less aggressive recently at times in games his defense is still good his defense is always pretty good but um i'm not sure what we're seeing out of him right now so you want my answer you want doc rivers answer because you know what doc rivers is going to say as long as we're winning then he's doing the right thing right he, that's that's doc rivers mantra every time you hear and they ask him a question about benson and he doesn't like getting the question at all which tells me that, look, if you don't like the question, it means you don't want to give the answer because you're not confident in what the answer is. And I think right now, and, and look, and, unless we find out that there's an injury issue here, something's going on with Ben Simmons. And it appears that Ben Simmons is, he, okay, so you've given me a hard time over the last couple weeks because i have said that ben simmons couple, is turning into years that we've done the show together in general but on this yes but on this on this particular topic just, just pointing out that this is over, this particular issue. yes i have expressed concerns about whether or not ben simmons is turning into a taller version of rajon rondo 
And so it's not that I think that his, his ceiling is Rajan Rondo. It's that he seems to be falling into this mentality of, I'm going to pass the ball. I'm not going to be aggressive. I'm going to play defense. But he, he was, we were talking about him over the last couple of years as one of the best players in the league. Could be the next LeBron James. Let's well, talk about it later. I think you got somebody to introduce. Yeah, some people were. We'll go back to the Sixers in a minute, but we got to talk some hockey. We get the voice himself, the public address announcer for the Philadelphia Flyers, Lou Nolan on the line to join us. Lou, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. How are you doing today? Doing terrific, guys. How are you doing? Uh, I'm better every time I hear your voice. It just, I tell you every time I hear it, I hear your voice and it takes me back to being a kid in the spectrum watching games. It, every single time yeah. I hear it, it's the best. So, uh, you know, Flyers back in the building, first time since March 2020. Uh, first off for you, what's it like to be back in the building watching hockey again? Uh, it's terrific. Uh, I am glad that, uh, you know, the NHL is back and that, that we're back there and I'm, I'm along for the ride. Uh, a little different. Uh, COVID has uh, made some adjustments to uh, um, who is on the uh, uh, the floor with players, the players' floor. So I'm upstairs uh, on, um, and uh, you know, there's a limit to who can be on the floor with the players, and I'm not in that limit. NHL said that uh, protocols will put the announcers out of the penalty boxes, so uh, I'm out. Uh -oh. well, I'm normal, a good time upstairs. normal people don't want to get in the penalty box. You're out of the penalty box. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't mean I'll stay out of it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Well, so then I guess the next question is, you're out of the penalty box. Uh, where's Gritty when, when you're up top and are you hanging with him? <laughs> uh, I'm not hanging with him. I did see him once, but um, he is uh, on uh, – there are three small stages about halfway up maybe at the end of the 100 level. Uh, the one, uh, there's a large stage in the middle and there's two stages to the right and the left. Uh, one of them is li Gritty's living room with a um, uh, nice leather sofa and a lamp and uh, some of his pillows and, and playmates. And um, the, the other small one is with uh, families that uh, uh, the Flyers have brought in of uh, first responders. Every night we host a family of first responders, first responder and their family. Uh, and uh, they are the only people that are in the building that, uh, you know, are not uh, employees or so forth. So uh, the main stage is uh, for, for a lot of uh, different stuff that happens with Gritty. And um, Lauren sings a national anthem from there. And, you know, uh, we, um, we're adjusting. We're having a good time. You know, you mentioned it's Gritty and some families in the building with you. What's it like to announce a game in a virtually empty arena? And how does that impact you? You're somebody that the crowd feeds off of you. You feed off the crowd and the game. What's this like for you? Well, I like to think about it professionally in that I can't be any different than I normally am. Uh, you know, uh, try and announce the goals and assist as they are and the penalties and, and um, certainly the Pico power play and, and things of that nature. Uh, but it is different. Um, we we did uh, during the bubble uh, in the playoffs run a second screen, um, uh, which we did off the Flyers website. So I've been in there before with nobody in the building, and there was really nobody in the building then. It was just us and the and the uh, 
the press box area. But uh, it's it's strange. It's strange. There's a little noise being uh, being piped in that the NHL has uh, brought into it. Uh, they call it a murmur when the crowd is just murmuring, when they're just uh, kind of sitting around watching the game. And then there's some some cheers and some things of that nature. And um, we'll see. It's uh, it's been good. Obviously, the team played well here. They didn't they didn't really play well, but they got wins. Uh, and um, you know. Uh, we're uh, we're doing okay. We're leading the uh, the Mass Mutual East, and um, <laughs> yeah, everything has a name now. More names <laughs> than ever. Uh, it was funny. I, I was I, that wasn't even a question I wrote down. Any any thoughts on that? It's tough to get tough to get used to that it's now the Mass Mutual Eastern Conference. Well, I, I don't say it much. Uh, I don't uh, talk about the East very much. If I do, uh, it might be scripted or something of nature that somebody wants me to say. But um, it, it's yeah, it's different. I wrote it down here on, on a legal pad because I said, "Geez, if I have to mention it, how will I remember it?" <laughs> I haven't said it more than a dozen times at this point. But um, well, yeah, it's but Lou, uh, it's different. Lou, one of the things that we're we're used to hearing, and one of the things that makes me smile every time I I go to a Flyers game and has for years is you announcing the power play, which is usually the Pico power play. How much longer is it going to be before Lou Nolan himself has a sponsor before his own name? <laughs> well, it'll probably be a while. It'll probably be a I while. Should, I think you uh, should get on that right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. What's it like for you with your new perch in the arena? You know, you're somebody who's been in the penalty box watching the game for so long. What's it like, this different view, being higher up to, to see the game there, but also be a little further away from the action? Well, I'll tell you guys that uh, I, I am as far as you could possibly be uh, on the goal line, the Flyers' goal line, um, um, and uh, where where they shoot twice, I mean, even with the goal line. But I am in the upper press box. There are two two levels there. I'm in the upper level. And uh, it's it's an interesting, you know, interesting perch. Um, when we did our, uh, our scrimmage game, we had whites against oranges and, and, uh, you know, you don't know, you, you can't identify who the players are. I'm not used to that. Uh, I'm getting better at it and also better at it when, you know, you've got black jerseys against, uh, white jerseys or something of that nature, you know, white against uh, dark orange, uh, it makes it easier, but you know, the players have helmets on and their numbers 68, uh, certainly looks like, um, you know, 86, uh, you know, so there's a lot of different stuff there that's difficult to see, but all of mine is a result of a play normally. So I'm not doing play by play. Those guys, God bless them, man. Tell well, look, tough. you're back in the, you're back in the arena, which, which is, you know, we are all so jealous that, that you get to be back there, but we're so glad that we actually get to hear your voice in the background when we're watching the game. <laughs> What is it like for you to see a team like the Flyers that really is one of the up and coming and top teams in the at least in the East this year? Uh, I'm very pleased. Uh, I'm very pleased that they're doing that. Um, you know, there's there's challenges that are going to come out, uh, and the Flyers have faced them already. You know, they've got uh, four guys down to injuries. You know, Coots is hurt, uh, Phil Myers is hurt, and uh, Frosty's hurt, and they, and they're all you know not exactly day to day guys this point and uh, we don't really know about mark friedman who was the sixth defenseman that came in replacing myers he did a face plant when he was tangled up uh with uh, with one of the bruins and 
Uh, he went out right away. I suspect he might have been cut by his shield when his face hit the ice, uh, but I'm not sure about that. So then uh, the, the Flyers finished uh, the game with five defensemen from the middle of the second period. So you can guess why some of the gas might have been out. Uh, but uh, that's the way the game is. The game is uh, is tough sometimes. And, uh, you know, you have Provorov with 30 minutes, you know. And Sandheim with 25 minutes, and that's more than he's ever had in his in his career. So uh, they're pooped, and um, you know it's just it's just to be difficult when when you put the fifth defenseman out, you put him with a different guy, and it's not as if they played the whole season together. But guys get to know tendencies, and uh, sometimes they're in the wrong position. And Boston the, the took one, uh, took advantage of that. One the one yeah, the, it, it's tough when there's injuries, especially this this early in the season. But there are two guys back in Patrick and Oscar. Um, all I kept thinking when I was watching that first game is is um, imagining how you would have announced those two guys coming back, especially Oscar, and what the reaction would be. Are you looking forward not just for the sake of normalcy to have everybody back in the arena? But the opportunity to to do that call when Oscar Lindbrom comes comes back on the ice. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I know that um, uh, the coach uh, Elaine Vigneault said that the only thing that uh, the first game that he felt bad about uh, initially was that uh, Oscar started, and you know I didn't get to have a chance to announce him as a starting lineup, and the fans would have probably given a standing O for sure. Um, he's a, it's a remarkable thing there. And, you know, and, and from the standpoint of, uh, uh, you know, of, uh, concussions and things of that nature, you've got a guy coming back from a concussion, you know, Nolan Patrick, and it was almost a whole year. I mean, you know, really, really difficult thing for him to come back. And uh, so far so good. He's, he's been, he's been good as, as Oscar. So, uh, it feels good feels good to have them back, but it's going to feel even better when the fans are there to give them the, the, the uh, proper um, cheer, so to speak, as you mentioned. This may be hard, but if you had to pick a, a call on a goal or, or, or something that's been your favorite, you've, you've done so many at this point, you, you have one that, that stands out? I do. Um, I think it would be uh, McLeish's game winner for the Stanley Cup against Boston, uh, one to nothing. And, uh, you know, it was shot from the point, he deflected it. And, and that, that was probably the biggest one I've ever made. Uh, a couple against the Russians. Um, you know, I think Joe Watson scored after all the hijinks when they went off the ice and came back. And that was, that was a big one. Uh, JJ Daniel in the playoffs, uh, uh, to, uh, to send us to uh, game seven. Um, there's, there've been a lot of great ones. I mean, I've, I've done thousands, but, uh, those, those stand out because they're important to uh, not only the player, but the team. And some of the 50 of the goal stuff, you know, I mean, crying out loud, you have 50 goals. It's amazing. And, um, yeah. you know, McLeish did that and Johnny LeClaire and uh, some of Timmy Kerr's goals were big goals. You know, it's, um, there's a million of them I could think about, but uh, you're limited in time here. <laughs> Well, we, we can't wait to get back in the building to hear it ourselves. We love that we're getting to hear it on TV. And we always appreciate when you give us a few minutes and we get to hear a few stories. So thanks so much, Lou, and take care of yourself and have a good one. Well, you guys are very welcome. Anytime, just uh, give me a buzz. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun through a lot of years with the Flyers. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people I'm just a kid from southwest Philly. It was in the right place at the right time. 
And um, next thing you know, I'm doing a lot of hockey games. So uh, it's crazy as can be. Hey, guys, have a great weekend. Talk to you later. Take it easy, Lou. We're glad you were in that place. Have a good one. Jeff, when he comes on and I hear his voice, Mm -hmm. I'm transported back. And, you know, like with my dad passing, I've had all these sports memories of growing up recently. I'm transported back to like 86, 87, 88 at Spectrum, the games against the Rangers, being there with my dad in the stands. And like it, hearing his voice puts me back in that moment. I, I just, you know, when we ask him about the calls, it doesn't happen until, until Lou Nolan calls it. <laughs> and it's just so cool to get to talk to him about all that. It, it's weird. So I didn't realize that Lauren Hart's there too. So, so the two voices you probably most associate over the long period of time are those two voices now, the national anthem, and then him calling the power play and everything else that happens in the game. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad that they're there. I'm glad that you can hear it in the background, but I can't wait till I can actually be in the arena and hear it all and see it all. Oh, I can't wait either. I I absolutely can't. And look, the flyers are off to, a good start it you know it's challenging like he mentioned they have lots of injuries they give they've given up a ton of shots which is both good and bad for my fantasy team because carter hart's made a lot of oh here he goes with his fantasy team uh just pointing that out making sure that that you're aware uh but you know that the flyers are definitely a deep team and fun to watch right now yeah and can you imagine seriously can you imagine the first game back where there's people in the building where oscar lindblom gets announced Oh, or, be electric. or 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 when he scores a goal and Lou Nolan announces that goal I'm telling you the place is going to stop and it's going to be so well deserved mm-hmm. it really is going to be so well deserved and so you know we'll keep watching what the Flyers are doing uh tough loss last night they'll be back at it I think tomorrow night I'm sure Mike Vito will tell me in the chat on the other side of the board if I was wrong about that they're back mm-hmm. tomorrow night yep so we'll keep watching some hockey. Let's go back to the basketball real fast. I just want to let you finish up there. Um, so we talked about our concerns of Ben Simmons' struggle. It looks like Seth Curry's ready to return from COVID. Going to be a, a little bit slow for that, but it's going to be good for them to get him back. Um, it has been exciting to see some of the younger guys get some run and see them be able to play. That should benefit the team in the long run, especially with the fact that their record is still has them in first place even while doing that. Your thoughts on what you've seen overall separate from what we talked about with Ben and Joel. Well, I I think having Curry out as much as I wouldn't want him to be out, I want him to be fitting in. I want him to be playing. I want him to be healthy, but you're right. It does give other people a chance to play. I think that people like Tyrese Maxey will actually benefit from this because I think Maxey's one of those instant offense guys who should come off the bench. I don't think he's ready to be starting. I didn't say he's ready to be starting, but mm-hmm. have you changed your mind at all on him? Because you thought my like of him was irrational for a while. Yes. Well, be, because he's so, you know, it's funny when there is a guy that's faster than the rest of the guys on the court, they often look like they're playing out of control. They look like they're going to run into the corner and get stuck there. And Maxi looks, or, or they're going to be, they're going to run, they're going to drive to the basket and they're going to get stuck underneath the basket because they ran past it that's what he looks like. He looks frenetic when he's out there. But what I'm starting to appreciate is he does have total control over his body and he doesn't put himself in those situations. And I am more impressed. I, I'm not, I'm not sold the way you are sold on him, but I am starting to appreciate him. him more and say, 
you know what? There's a place for him in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not sold on him as a starter right now, but mm-hmm. I'm sold on him as a piece on a team, and he can be instant offense. And if for right now you got him and you got Shake and and some of these guys coming off the bench for some instant offense, that's not yeah, a bad and, thing at all. And and the other thing is it, it it puts people. You know, we always talk about in baseball about guys need roles. You know, guys in the bullpen need roles. We talked about with the like, Sixers for the long yeah, time. Right. And so now you have even even somebody like Furkan Korkmaz, it benefits from the, he might not think he benefits because he's going to get less playing time, but he's going to be put. I'm confident Rivers is going to put him in better positions to utilize the time that he has him in there better. And I think Kirk Korkmaz will play better as a result. You have your big five or your starting five. As long as they're healthy, they're healthy. You have that. I don't know if it's going to last all season. I don't know if Ben Simmons is going to be traded before the trading deadline starts, but, but you have five guys that fit well together and now have the spacing that we've been pulling our hair out for the last year saying they didn't have. And having Dwight Howard as a backup setter is definitely a good thing. Yeah. He's done really well, except when he's at the free throw line. Well, that's always been the case in his career. Did you see uh, who signed with the Nets? It is, you know, you're going to have to explain. You just want to dust right past this. Dwight, I don't understand how a guy who's played basketball for this long in his life can't shoot, can't stand still and shoot free throws. Shaq had the same problem forever. I didn't say, I didn't say there aren't other people that have the problem. I'm saying that there is no logic to the problem. Shooting free throws is two things. It's, 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 it's expertise through repetition and it's in your head and you should be able as a professional to get over those two things. There's not an acceptable reason not to be able to, to shoot at least 50% of your free throws. They're called free throws for one reason. Did did you hit free throws when we tried out for the blue coats? Did what? Did you hit any free throws when we tried? I out? absolutely did. Okay, you're better than me anyway. <laughs> yeah, and even if I didn't, there's no. You proof admit it. it. There's no proof. There's only proof of you being dunked. Well, up. actually, there may be, but I, I don't know. But I did. I mean, but and by the way, I'm not a professional basketball player making tens of millions of dollars. I mean, Dwight Howard's probably made over nine figures in his career. You would think he would be able to go spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day shooting free throws, so that you can make half of them or more good work if you can get it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh why don't we leave the basketball there let let's do some nfl talk we'll start talking eagles coach you want to talk playoffs we're talking about playoffs you want to talk playoffs first you want to talk coaching uh we got about 10 minutes till we got dug on or about eight minutes so what do you want to go i'll let you choose roulette wheel jeff nope it's your choice because uh, otherwise you just sit on the fence so yeah. what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna keep making you do it all right, so let's talk playoffs a little bit this weekend. You, you've got completely different matchups going on. Uh, start in the AFC. You've got Kansas City against uh, Buffalo. You Okay, so Pat Mahomes is going to be back. Uh, it was interesting to watch one of our previous guests, Chad Henney, take over the game on Sunday as we were texting ourselves. Um, that was unexpected. Kansas City held on to win. I think it's a tough matchup for them against Buffalo. I really do Uh, not to say that they're not a great team, but Buffalo has been playing good ball. Allen on both sides, on both sides. Josh Allen's definitely going to need help from his running backs to, to do this, to make it happen. It's, 
in the last game when they played, the game was delayed, if you remember, from Sunday to Monday for COVID concerns. Neither quarterback really lit it up. Clyde edwards helaire ran for 161 yards on 26 games, but he hasn't played since week 15. Right. Last week, it was Darrell Williams who gave him 78 yards against the Browns. They're going to need a rushing game to go along with that against that Buffalo defense now. Yeah, I, I look. I think that Buffalo is the better team. If round, this is a better rounded team on both sides of the ball, even on special teams. And and I will tell you with Buffalo, you know, you talk a lot about De, the DeAndre Hopkins trade to the Cardinals. The bigger move in the offseason might have been Stephon Diggs. Yep. Yeah. What, I mean, what what he has done for? I mean, you don't think I do because I'm older than you, but people don't think of the Buffalo Bills as a passing team because they play in cold weather. The, the fact is, I mean, they were when Jim Kelly was the quarterback. Stefan Diggs along has made Josh Allen in my mind. Josh Allen could have been good. The offensive coordinators did a great job with him, but you still need a great receiver, Eagles. It's, it's funny you say you're older than me, which I didn't say, but... Oh, I, was gonna, last, I thought you were going to say week, you didn't know. On last week's show, when I said got new new blood in there with Buffalo, you're like, oh, that's right. Like I'm used to Buffalo in the playoffs in the 90s <laughs> over and over again. And it had been so long since they were there. They held Baltimore to just a field goal in their 17-3 win, limited Lamar Jackson to 196 total yards, 34 rushing yards. On the other side, the Chiefs held the Cleveland's ground game in, in check. They Baker Mayfield was 23 of 37 on passing. They had two takeaways, including a fumble. I, by the way, that fumble rule is ridiculous. Can we can we talk about that for a second? It's, go ahead. Most fumble rules seem. I mean, it, it always takes this conversation for them to change the rule again. We it, can go back to the tuck rule. It, it, it's always a problem. It's a touchdown. It's ridiculous. And then and it changed the momentum of the game. Not that like I really cared whether Cleveland won. I was you know, but that oh, was, I did. Yeah, you wanted Cleveland to win. No, I didn't. I wanted Cleveland to lose. Yeah, you, you. Where have you been when we do this radio show? I know every time I try to bring up Cleveland, you're like, right. no, no, not really. Um, what do you think will end up happening in this game? You, you think Kansas City holds on? You think Buffalo pulls you upset? I actually think Buffalo is going to win this game. I've had the same feeling, and I'm not, as as you can imagine, I'm on the fence about it. But mm-hmm. I've had the, I've had the same. So, you're that, on the fence. Yes, as always. Yeah. That that I think that uh, Buffalo. We'll end up pulling it out. It, gonna if be we ever, if we ever go to a game where we're we're rooting for a team and not just there to cover the game, you know how the, there's always fans that one holds the D and the other one holds the fence. There's, there's no question which one you're holding. No, I'd hold both of them because I'd have to be on both sides of it. The <laughs> the, the appetizer to that game will be Tampa Bay against Green Bay. Uh, obviously, the huge storyline is Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. It's going to be the frozen tundra temperatures in the twenties with a chance of snow. I mean, you're talking. That doesn't bother. So, so green Bay has that, that advantage in most games because it's green Bay, but Tom Brady played in those conditions in new England for 20 years. Tough game. Yeah. The, the question is, is whether the rest of the guys from Tampa Bay, I mean, Gronkowski's used to it too, but I don't know if the rest of the Tampa Bay team, whether or not they're going to be able to adjust to it. Our man on the other side of the board had a crazy stat. You were talking about just how much Tom Brady has won. He's got 34 playoff wins. There's only four NFL teams that Mm -hmm. have more wins than Tom Brady does in the NFL playoffs. The thing about Tom Tom Brady's 
playoff stats are, you could we could spend an entire show going through all of those types of stats with Tom Brady. That's how good he has been. I mean, think about it. He's been to 14 uh, uh, championships. 14. That's I lot. think the second most is seven. That's a lot. It's unbelievable with- what, what he's been to. He will be without one of his targets, Antonio Brown, this week. And, you know, if you if you go back earlier in the season, uh, Aaron Rodgers' worst game was week six against the Buccaneers, completed just 16 to 35 passes for mm-hmm. 160 yards with no touchdowns and two interceptions. So can Tampa's defense do that again? I mean, it's a different team now. It's, you know, I'm not the, sure. The weather's just a tiny bit different. It It is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the Packers, look – the Rams didn't really put up much resistance against the Packers. Rodgers threw for nearly 300 yards and two touchdowns. Ground game put up almost 200 yards and two scores. Can they you imagine? Can you imagine up. what what happened if, if Rodgers is it before the season? Everybody was talking about the fact that Green Bay didn't take a single um, wide receiver in the draft. Right? They said that he desperately needed help in the draft. They needed wide receivers. They didn't take it. Instead, they took a quarterback. Can you imagine if they make it to the Super Bowl after that? I mean, what what Aaron Rodgers has done, and, and his receiving core is not bad. I mean, he has Devontae Adams, who's one of the best receivers in the game. He has a running game that's really good. He had a great offensive line. He did lose one of his best offensive linemen. But what what Aaron Rodgers has done in this new offense with this new coach uh, is pretty impressive. Are you surprised by how well Tampa Bay's come together? We. We'll get back to that in a second. I will ask you for your your winner. We've got Doug on the line, so we'll go to him in a second. Who do you think is going to win this game? Uh, Packers are a four-point favorite over Tampa. Packers. Okay. Packers-Bills. Right. You you well, that, that's an old-school Super Bowl for you. Packers-Bills. Packers-Bills. Vito's going Bucks. Th- that, that's Doug in my generation Super Bowl. That's that's your generation mm-hmm. All right, why, why don't we go to the man himself, talk a little baseball, former Major League Baseball player, writer, uh, my God, Doug Glanville, I, I never have all of the titles by which to introduce you. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes today. Uh, doing well, yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, I try to wear as many hats as I can, and if not, I can put them on my feet even, wear some shoes too. Yeah. Enjoy all <laughs> all the hats that you wear and, and all the things that you do. And you know, Jeff and I have been talking lately a lot. We're watching the NFL hiring process. We've been talking about the coaching carousel. And then we saw you come out with a piece this week on ESPN, sort of along the same lines, exploring, you know, why Major League Baseball needs more black managers, but also why it won't be you right now. And, um, you know, we've always thought you're the perfect guest to join us for a good conversation about these challenging issues. Can you talk to a little, a little bit about why you wrote the piece and, and what your thoughts are right now? No, I appreciate that. I um, it, It's something I've thought about for a while. That is the opportunity to be a major league manager. And in 2014, I did actually interview with the Tampa Rays, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, then Heim Bloom was over there, who's now the Red Sox GM. And, it, you know, it's come up from time to time about the conversation around the lack of black managers throughout the game. And what I wanted to turn on its head a little bit is, the sense that, oh, well, you know, there's a, there's a lack of sort of talent out there of sort of black talent or black candidates, or the sense that diversity equals a lesser quality, right? If you 
try to diversify, therefore you're not getting the best. And I wanted to pull that back a little bit and look at the fact that I have had inquiries over the years, not so much OBR manager, but definitely to get back in the game. And I was confronted with a choice as a father that of all these boxes that I check, which today are very much what make a manager, whether it's the Ivy League thing or all these other things, it's that you know the family aspect, the box of diversity that I check that can be a, an asset to how the game is trying to evolve and embrace diversity more. But actually, for me, it was a burden. And it was a burden because I was weighing what my kids would face with me being gone and my family and how that would impact them, especially in the climate that we've been in in recent years over sort of this, the, you know, the racism and the openness by which it's been expressed and the uncertainty about my even my own safety, let alone my children's safety. And so I wanted to share that story and thinking more as a parent going through this process of being considered a candidate. And, you know, I wanted to express that it won't be me right now, given what we're up against in 2021. And I recognize there's a privilege in being able to make that choice, uh, you know, proactively, I guess you could say, make that choice, uh, knowing that, you know, there's quite a collision between these forces. You know, Doug, we've talked to you in the past about some of your own experiences, uh, including the shoveling snow in the driveway, what's happened at the airport. How do you, how do you as a father, um, and when do you explain those situations to your own children and, and, and how you address them and how you would like them to address them? Well, I, I know that it's something I'd want to address as late as possible if, if given my choice. Uh, you know, you just know there's an innocence that you know that children come into this world, you know, open to so many ideas and, and often as parents or society kind of can close that up and make you sort of provincial or however things can play out to, to divide or separate. And, you know, my kids, you know, for, you mentioned the snow shoveling, they were still very young, but because it was something I was engaged in on a day-to-day -day basis for almost 18 months after that, uh, it was hard not to just have more further conversations, whether it was neighbors coming over or their kids. And my kids are old enough at the time, you know, six or seven is to ask questions about, you know, things that they were starting to hear more about or whether they were brown in their color or something that seemed to be more physical descriptive as opposed to how, uh, larger society may racialize things, especially traits that may be negative, criminalize, and so on. So I um, I treaded lightly, but I knew that it was inevitably going to be part of their reality as, as you know, brown children. And, uh, and as it sort of came in their life more and more, I started to sort of share more of my life. And that's the tough part of the parent because you're saying, well, I don't want to jade them. I don't want them to feel insecure. I don't want to jump the gun and assume that they're going to face all these horrible things and it may be a little different in their time versus mine and so on. But it was, I also felt that if I didn't share these conversations that I would leave them vulnerable to not know that, you know, how our society can work and, and the sort of legacy and, and somewhat stain of racism and, and how it plays into their parents' life and, and in their lives. So I tried to walk in their shoes at the pace that they were experiencing things but there was times it was just undeniable. And, and eventually, you know, I had that incident at LAX where the 
the cab driver refused to take me to my hotel and told me to take the bus and, and told me how much it cost and all this stuff, uh, multiple times refused and, uh, ended up taking the next passenger was white. He picked him up and took him right away. And so when I started to take that on and talk to LA council and, and the head of LAX and so on, the, uh, it was the conversation I started to have more directly with my, my son in particular. And he, he made the conclusion. I wrote it in the article saying, it just seems like, you know, every time something really bad happens to you, it's because of your color. That, that's sort of um, a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's affect what he said. And th- those are heartbreaking moments, but they're also teaching moments. And, um, and I, I definitely tried to take the opportunity to, to listen as much as I spoke. You, we often talk about, in all our careers, um, make the decisions we have to make, family versus jobs. Unfortunately, we have to make a lot of those decisions. You talk a lot in the article about the decision that you decided to make for now. But that it had to be hard for you to make that decision, not, not just because it may have been your dream to manage a team or to run a team after your, your days as a ball player over, but also because of the voice that you could lend that could help other people understand better. What, how hard of a struggle was it for you to, to decide that right now this is something, even if you wanted to do it, and even if you thought you could benefit other people by doing it, that now wasn't the time to do it? It was, it was a heavy struggle. And I think the, the struggle has a lot of layers to it. You know, one is, as you mentioned, you know, I have an opportunity to be that person to get in the game and represent uh, you know, my community of diversity and, and also help literally from the field forge a new direction. Uh, talk about, talk to young players in the next generation, influence policy. And, and just by your presence alone, uh, you, can, you can see that. You can say, hey, baseball art is taking the steps. I would have been one of those managers to count and say, oh, now there's three black managers, right? That, I mean, that matters. And, and it also was difficult because it's a very similar walk throughout any time where you might be pioneering or entering some a new arena where you're looked at through this identity lens. <clears throat> and within that lens, the, the, the questions you ask about can be deeper. You can say, well, I want to take this journey, but I know it's, I can't, I have to be more than a manager, right? I have a, I'm, I'm blazing a trail or I'm carrying something else. And that, that is to some degree, the black experience universally. You, you feel like you're constantly representative and there's times that that's a source of tremendous pride. There's times that that's heavy, that's heavy to carry because you're not able to, um, you know, sort of walk your way on your own. You have to kind of represent all the time. And, and so one of the things I said, you know, I did something for ESPN Daily. Uh, I think the line we kind of were talking through about expressing was it's important uh, to recognize that, okay, I can be a, you know, I can help the game benefit in terms of being more diverse. And although I don't want that to be superficial, I understand what it can mean. But I also think the real important lesson is understanding not only checking a box, but what it means to live in that box. And, and that's where the real education and the sustainable work can happen because when you open up to what it means, like think of something that seems simple. All right, let's just say I get a job. I'm hired by the Minnesota Twins. I'm their next manager. I have to think long and hard what neighborhood I'm going to live in. I mean, that's, that's just not simple. It's just not simple. I have to be concerned about if I'm jogging in this neighborhood, are people going to call the police? Are people going to, you know, I don't know. These are things that happened to me all through my life. 
Uh, I mean, buying a house has never been simple for me, even in a, with a major league uniform on my back. Um, so, I, you know, so I think that's the opportunity and the struggle because, uh, I'm, you know, where my family and where we are and how old my kids are, also what it could possibly mean. And then there's also the fact that I, I don't necessarily want to, I didn't have to go out there and say, hey, I, I, I'm not actively pursuing because I still were, you know, I was still getting calls. You know, Those calls could stop because I'm, you know, pronouncing something I didn't necessarily have to pronounce. But more and more questions were asked like, well, Glanville would be a decent candidate, be a good candidate. And then, uh, you know, it was something that I was always hesitant about, even when I interviewed for the raise job. So you mentioned filling the box, but obviously the first thing, we have to get more people to check the box to get the job in terms of having more black managers and front office personnel in baseball. They've had the ceiling rule. They've tried efforts in baseball. They've tried things in other sports. How do we get to the place we need to be where you're not dependent on to check that box because they don't have enough other people that they're looking at? Well, that's an important question. And, you know, for starters, uh, there's so many incredibly committed black candidates out there. You know, there are. And what's tough about baseball is even with the Sealer rule, right, which mandated the interviewing of diverse candidates and and not just at the top level. It's actually been very successful on levels like sort of, if you want to use the word below the field level manager, the GM it's done very well in, in administratively. Uh, however, it struggled at the top levels of management. And part of it is, you know, if you think of major league baseball commissioner's office as creating the Steelers rule, almost like a federal level, then the teams representing sort of the states they say, well, hey, that's cool. That's the minimum standard, but we're going to do what we need to do for our team. And as a private enterprise, they might say, hey, I'm just going to hire who I want to hire. And when you don't have diversity in power and people who are making decisions have relatively homogenous homogenous circles by which they're working in, whether it's where they live or who's around them or their friends or family and the nepotism and all those other elements that play into limiting your reach, then it's, it's, it reinforces itself. Even even if it's not out of something nefarious, it could just be like, hey, like Theo Epstein said, oh, I just hired the people I was at Yale at or whatever. You know, they just kind of fell into that trap of comfort. And so until you diversify the power, it's really difficult because it tends to reinforce itself. It tends to justify its existence. It tends to concentrate in its own circles. And and so it's it's hard when they're feeling like, hey, I'm making this quote compromise to get diversity. You you always end up cheapening it because you're saying, well, you know, I I'll, I'll do this kind of favor and not really fully behind it and saying this is actually a great choice for us. Uh, sharing the power of what diversity means, not just because you're coloring by numbers, but you really understand that it. It creates a diversity of thought. It creates a diversity of perspective. It creates a diversity of reaching different kinds of people. It creates a diversity of leadership approaches in how to reach people. That Those are significant in the success of, of any institution, any especially when your community is diverse. Baseball is a very diverse sport. Um, so those are the challenges. But I, I would say power is a big part of that equation and where the v- diversity lies. Uh, because we've seen time and time again 
from Al Campanus forward that quali- the word qualified, quote, and I use it in air quotes, and quote, experience are highly subjective. They're highly subjective. And they're, they're colored by their own biases, but yet they're used as a hammer at times to deny people opportunity, as if it's something, you, it's something sort of uh, so clear and undeniable when it actually has so much nuance. So is one of the answers not just to look for managers and, and, and front office people, but isn't the answer to get more people that are, that are of diverse backgrounds into ownership? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that is probably a taller order with the resources that's required, the vetting process. But that would make a a difference. That would make a significant difference. And, uh, and of course, within that is just getting, you know, continuing on the track where if you don't have that diversity at the top, that you're able to have a certain uh, being in tune with society at large and the importance of having this diverse community of people that are not just in specific roles, but throughout. And that part, I think baseball is embracing fairly well. They are working hard at every rank to try to create diversity. In some ranks, they've had a lot of success with the Sealer rule because it doesn't just mandate interviewing diverse candidates at the top. It's, it's everywhere. Um, and that part has been fairly successful. But yes, is it harder to find you know, people with $700 million? Yes, absolutely. And um, and then you get into the economic, um, you know, legacy and challenge that tends to go along racial lines also. Uh, so there's a taller order there, but no question that they, they have to find ways to create that opportunity. You know, you talk about the barriers with ownership and with um, being managers. A player who broke a lot of barriers passed away today, Hank Aaron. We'd be remiss if we didn't give the opportunity to talk a little about him, the impact he had on the game, but also the role that he played in bringing about social change. Hank Aaron was royalty, uh, true royalty. And um, I say that with a lot of layers to it because I think um, he, he showed us so much about his excellence through his excellence on the field. This is one of the greatest players of all time. And, and on top of that, he came in at the end of the first decade of Jackie Robinson, who was close to retiring at that point. And he came in and immediately established that not only was this great experiment of Robinson uh, something that was important, but it was that dominant players can come from this, you know, exciting, game-changing players. And it happened quickly. And you think of people who did not have an opportunity to even get in the locker room we're coming on and having that kind of impact. But Hank Aaron also understood that it was much more than numbers, that you can achieve greatness and be quantifiably impactful, but yet he knew that he had to continue fighting for equality, continue fighting for opportunity, continue, and he did it till the day he died. He was constantly an ambassador to the game to try to create opportunity to try to under, help people see the, the the lack of representation and how hurtful that is to what can be such a beautifully woven tapestry of people in baseball. That was something he continued on despite reaching the top of the game. And and that that was something as a young player, me coming up, seeing how important it was that this mentorship existed. 
that it wasn't just get mine and get out. It was important to think about what you were leaving behind and not only where you came from. And Hank Aaron was all that embodied in one. And and for that reason, he's not only a loss in seeing someone iconic, but just the fact that he was still actively pushing us to our better angels. Doug, we always appreciate the thoughtfulness you, you bring to these conversations and the time you give us to have them. Thanks so much for joining us again and um, keep writing and, and putting it out there so that people can have a better understanding and hopefully keep joining us so that we can all talk about it and have a better understanding ourselves. Absolutely. Really appreciate being on. And as I've always spoken, great. You always have a great show. So it's an honor to be part of it. Uh, thank you. You take care of yourself and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Doug. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Jeff, you want to talk about some, some serious stuff. <laughs> it's uh, But it's important that we have this conversation and sort of the premise of it was you and I have been having this conversation as the NFL coaching search has been going on for the Eagles and other teams, not always on the show, on text message, on the phone with ourselves. And then we see Doug write the article, but article about MLB and it's, it's the perfect opportunity to have that conversation about that sport, but then also for us to then segue into talking about the NFL coaches. So your thoughts on the Doug interview before we move on. Look, he he's he's probably and you may agree our favorite our favorite guest yes um there's there's very few times look I, I don't need to talk all the time you don't need to talk all the time but there are there are times when he's on the show you just want to hand him the microphone because because he says things in a way that i think but i don't know if i could ever elaborate that way it's, and it's and funny it's, to say that because i was on mute <laughs> because I, I didn't want to interrupt what he was saying. So when I went to go talk and thank him, mm. I had to take it off mute because I didn't want to interrupt what he was saying. And, and all I keep thinking is, look, if he wants to pursue being a manager someday, he wants to be a general manager someday, uh, I'll be the first person in line to cheer him on. But but all I keep thinking is, Doug should be bigger than that. He, he, could, cha he could change the game so much more. Doug could be an amazing commissioner. I truly, I'm not just saying that. I, I truly believe because of of the depth of his knowledge, uh, the way he approaches things, the empathy to which he has, that he could he he could find solutions to problems in sports and society at the same time. And I and think about what that would mean to to the sport or sports in general, and what it would mean to to society if we had somebody like Doug as the face of an organization like that. Well, look, you're going to get branding for Lou Nolan and we can get Doug to be the commissioner. So right. it'll yeah. be good. But, but, to, but to then move on to, to, you know, the reason that it wasn't just that Doug wrote this article, we always think about, you know, when, when are we going to have this conversation again? I mean, Doug's been nice enough to, to, to fly in and do a, an entire show with us talking about this years ago. And we've had this conversation we need to keep having, you know, people go, oh, you don't need to keep having this conversation. Yes, we, yes do. we do. There'll probably never be a day that we don't need to have the conversation. I wish we didn't have to have the conversation. I wish that we didn't have to, as I forget the word, the phrase that Doug used as far as, as far as, you know, how you have to see the number of African-American or other minority coaches out there. It, it should, we shouldn't be at that stage in our society. This should, this, we should be at a point that this is, you know, we're, we're just hiring people who are qualified. And, and now we're looking at that situation in the NFL. 
And we said before the season ended, Eric Bieniemy's got to be getting a job, right? Leslie Frazier has got to be getting. Let me look at where's Leslie Frazier now. For people that don't know, he's in Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Buffalo Todd, def- Todd Bowles, who's in Tampa, like you. you yeah, have- well, but Todd Bowles had. Uh, I mean, he had a shot. At, I don't think it went particularly well. But but he but but lots of coaches who who didn't do well the first time get a second chance. Adam Gaze is the poster child for a guy who should not have gotten a second chance over any number of coaches. But Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator for arguably the best offense in the league. He has groomed uh, Pat Mahomes, who people think could be the one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He has to get credit for that. But for some reason, when it comes to Eric Bieniemy and and people like Leslie Frazier, there's this different set of rules than than the guy that was before him who got a job. And it doesn't make sense that we've now gone through, what is it, six head coaches? And some of these hires, including our own, you just scratch your head and go, huh? And And then not to say- It's not a knock on Sirianni. It, it's it's a knock on why isn't it Eric Bieniemy? Why isn't it Leslie Frazier? Or as you said to me right before the show, why isn't it Deuce Staley? And I think that's why there's been so much blowback from some of the fans here in Philly. I, I think that some of them thought that it was Deuce's time. Look, out of nine openings, so far eight of them have been filled by white coaches. That leaves the NFL with two minority coaches, one of them African-American, pending a hire by the Texans, who, by the way, their starter quarterback really wants Eric Bieniemy and wants to be traded if they don't hire Eric Bieniemy. Look, the league is 70% of the players are black. A third of the assistants are trying to work their way up the coaching ladder, and not one African-American coach got a second interview this time around. In three previous coaching replacement cycles, 20 coaches were hired. Three of them were coaches of color. One of them was black. This is not about the qualifications of white coaches or not. This is a, ultimately, look, they put in incentives for hiring. They give. That's what I was going to ask you. Now, so, it, so that's what I was going to ask you. Pay the owners to hire people. It's not going to matter. See, that that's the part that's so frustrating. When, when they said they were going to build in these incentives, including draft picks, you know, they said this was somehow going to help. But what it did was it now shines a bigger spotlight on what the problem is. Because you're, you're not going to come up with an incentive. What are you going to do? Offer a couple million dollars to do it? No. There are qualified coaches out there that should be given a shot instead of retreading guys or giving guys that have very little experience. And again, that's not a slight on any of the people hired per se, But each of these teams arrived at their decisions. And if you look at the overall arc in the last few years, you've had African-American coaches fired, not hired. They're going in the wrong direction. So we can get into the Eagles coach now and talk about his qualifications and what he's going to bring to the team. But we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge what's going on right in front of our eyes. All right. Well, go ahead. You want to talk about Frank Jr. Light? Frank Frank Light? Go ahead. 
Frank Reich Jr. Jr. <laughs> you heard somebody call him. Look, I'm not opposed to it, okay? I'm more not opposed to it because- Well, that's because you sit on the fence. <laughs> it, well, no, I'm more not opposed to it because it's not Josh McDaniels. Right. I was very concerned that they were going to go with Josh McDaniels. He's the second youngest head coach in Eagles history, a couple months younger, a second, a couple months older than Dick Vermeil, a little bit younger than Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has been on lots of different staffs. He's been quality coach. He's been- offensive uh, play, but he hasn't called plays. So, you know, he spent the last three years coaching with Frank Reich after Frank Reich left here when they took over in 2017. So so hold on, just stop. You just said he doesn't call plays with the Colts. No. Okay. So why does he get the job? That's people are saying, and people are saying, well, we don't know if Eric B is calling the plays. Well, that's been the sliding scale of what is required to be a coach in the NFL. Doug, uh, alluded to it in his MLB article that it used to be they needed experience. Then all of a sudden they needed analytics and experience didn't matter as much if they knew analytics. And all right, so, so it's so, just like a sliding scale. All right. So then I'm going to ask you, forget comparing him to anybody else. What has he done? So just, what has he done to, to warrant being a head coach in the NFL? Don't compare him to anybody else. What has he done? I, I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know that he's warranted that. Apparently Who, he interviewed. Who's he groomed? Up. Who's he groomed? Well, I mean, the offense definitely improved under under his time there. They were 30th in the NFL when they got there in 2017. They were 5th and 16th and 9th in scoring and reached the playoffs twice during a three-year period. They ranked 8th in scoring. So clearly he was involved in something. I'm not going to necessarily question his qualifications, but I don't know. I am. He's not, he's I'll not be glad the team that was out there that everybody was seeking, as you joked about. Uh, it seems like it kind of happened by accident. He is in Florida. They were in Florida. Come on over. Let's talk. Oh, by did, the way, we've been talking for two days. Did, did, did he turn Jacoby Brissett into Deshaun Watson? Did I miss something? And so he, he so couldn't do anything with, with Jacoby Brissett that they went out and got a Phillip Rivers, who, who I believe is a, a Hall of Fame quarterback, but I don't think you had to do anything with him other than insert him into the offense and tell him to throw because he obviously can't run. So do you think it will end up being a good signing for head coach? And by the way, I think it shows for that who? the Eagles had no <laughs> idea what they were looking for because this wasn't who they thought. We got 45 seconds, short answer. For who? For the Eagles. If you're a Giants fan or, or a Washington <laughs> fan or a Cowboys fan, yeah, it's a great hire. For oh, the Eagles right. fan, I don't think it is. Tell me who our guests are going to be next week before we have to go because we've already got stuff lined up. Uh, we, we have uh, Gary Waters, former Rutgers uh, basketball head coach for yeah, Jason. Rutgers. And then we're going to have Hall of Famer and all-timer, Kenny Houston. Uh, going to have lots of stuff to talk about. That's right, Vito. Get the Rutgers fight song ready. Let's get going. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.